Hey, welcome to another episode of The Hardy Wrestling Podcast with your girl, Stephanie Hardy. Thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time listening, welcome to my world. But if this isn't your first time listening, thank you for continuing with the vibe. Um, I've got your regular news and gossipish, And then I have a special story about whether or not wrestling's fake and how I feel about whenever people um, on, on the outside of the fandom say that to me as a fan. This was inspired by a conversation that I had this week with someone I met in a restaurant restaurant and i got your regular recap of all of your favorite wrestling shows raw smackdown and nxt so sit back relax and catch the vibe for the hardy wrestling podcast Okay, so I got your news and gossipish here. And there's a lot going on in the world, but it's definitely not as power packed as the last episode was. So we're gonna start with some pretty sad news that broke out this morning, and that um is involving Alex Trebek, who was the longtime host of Jeopardy. He passed away this morning, surrounded by his family and friends. Um, as you may or may not know, he was suffering from pancreatic cancer that he was diagnosed with um last year. But he was very determined to always keep working on the show for as long as he possibly could and fighting through everything with surgeries and chemotherapies. But he passed away on today. I was very bummed to get that news right after I got out of church this morning. So it was just kind of like, gosh, dang it. It's like if 2020 gives us something as extreme as it did yesterday with the election, of um president-elect joe biden and senator kamala well now vice president kamala harris it takes something away from us and alex trebek passing away definitely did you know feel like a gut punch to me because me and my grandmother who passed away in 2005 used to watch jeopardy all the time and compete against each other just to see which one which one of us will win almost every night that was our game show and I loved, you know, playing Jeopardy. I even loved how people, you know, utilized Jeopardy in elementary school and in high school whenever they would try to use it as a mechanism to study and all that other stuff. So Jeopardy has always been a big part of my life and my educational life as well. So this is a really big blow. Um, He, but in terms of the world of wrestling, he actually appeared as one of the celebrity guests at WrestleMania 7 alongside Regis Philbin, who also passed away this year and a bunch of others. Um, And of course, Jeopardy released a statement this morning, you know, stating Jeopardy is saddened to share that Alex Trebek passed away peacefully at home this early this morning, surrounded by family and friends. Thank you, Alex. Then WWE released a statement stating, quote, WWE is saddened to learn that Alex Trebek has passed away at the age of 80. The game show legend became an icon as he hosted Jeopardy for 36 years and he tran and he traversed, excuse me, the WWE universe in the process playing a prominent role in WrestleMania 7. He served as a backstage interviewer and was the guest ring announcer for the WWE Championship clash between Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter. A seven-time Emmy winner and for Outstanding Game Show host, Trebek hosted several other shows, including The Wizard of Odds, Double Dare, and more. WWE extends its condolences to Trebek's family, friends, and fans. So, um, rest in peace to Alex Trebek and happy trails to wherever it is your spirit is gone. And I hope you've had a peaceful transition and that you're in heaven chopping it up with my grandmothers and grandparents as well. Um, I know they're excited to meet you. Um, I will also 
like to mention more of the news where the undertaker is doing his final farewell um and it's set for survivor series that wwe released a statement saying um that the undertaker's final farewell will take place at survivor series on sunday november 22nd at 7 p.m eastern streaming live around the world on the wwe network capping off the phenom's legendary 30-year career one of the most iconic superstars in WWE history and a pop culture phenomenon, Undertaker made his WWE debut at Survivor Series on November 22, 1990. From his debut with Brother Love to his critically acclaimed match versus AJ Styles in this year's WrestleMania, Undertaker has participated in some of the greatest matches in history against Hall of Famers such as Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, and Mick Foley had multiple WWE Championship reigns and held an unmatched and astounding undefeated streak at WrestleMania that lasted for 21 years. Um, I feel half, I feel sort of split in half with the announcement of this final farewell because there's the part of me that feels like this farewell might be a real thing because they would not have released this statement, you know, on ESPN and CBS News and all of that had it not have been real um and i also feel that with his with the ending of his documentary the last um ride um and with him announcing that this was going to be you know his last go around in terms of wrestling and that he was truly retiring you know towards the end of that documentary this sort of makes sense that he would sort of you know book end his career at survivor series you know where it began um, it's been 30 years and he's been wrestling for a very long time. He's been known as a ring general. He's been known to bring out the best in, love in a lot of the younger wrestlers. So it would be nice to see him, you know, say goodbye. But then there's another part of me that's very skeptical <laughs> because when it comes to wrestling, it's not like a regular sport. But then again, there are people in football and in basketball who say they're retired and they come right back. And The Undertaker, you know, there was one point where he wrestled against Roman Reigns and in that match we sort of thought that that was it for him because he took off his jacket and his hat and everything he kissed Michelle McCool his wife and his child and he walked off and basically you know went went into the dark and we thought that that was it for him like thank you Taker was trending all over social media that year and I remember there were people who I didn't even think even knew who the Undertaker was commenting about it sharing that video and how it happened and also asking me Stephanie what's going on the Undertaker's retiring <laughs> what you know because they watched it when they were a child and they remember the Undertaker so they were just kind of like um is he really retiring but then you know all of a sudden he bounced back and he kept wrestling so retirement in wrestling is always an asterisk it's like one minute you know you could be gone and then the next minute you can come back so i don't know if this might be a setup for something for someone else to possibly try and fight him or what but if this is a final farewell i hope i'm pretty sure it's going to be done beautifully and tastefully um and it'll be worthy of someone of the undertaker's um career and life as well so there we go also, um, in terms of gossipish, there's a rumor that Ronda Rousey might be making a return to WWE because someone saw her training in a, in a, in a wrestling gym um, this past week. Now, um, I know Bleacher Report actually came out 
with a article talking about how how Monday Night Raw could definitely use someone like her because they've been sort of on the struggle bus in terms of their stars or whatnot, you know, that's currently on there. Um, but I, what I will say, and I won't necessarily say they're, they're incredibly, you know, just spattering all over the place. But what I will say is this, if Ronda Rousey comes back, I'll be very happy because I did miss her in terms of the wrestling, you know, atmosphere. And I was also a fan of her when she was in the UFC. Um, when she was fighting the UFC, I absolutely loved how she would, you know, take down her opponents with her submissions or knock them out, you know, with punches and everything. And she would just knock people out and lay them out in seconds, right? She was just absolutely phenomenal. And then it's like when she lost, um, it was almost like everyone just sort of turned their backs on her and just thought that, oh, well, she's, she's, you know, she doesn't have it anymore. And then when she tried to bounce back, you know, they basically, you know, railroaded her and acted like she didn't have it anymore. But while she was undefeated, she always talked about, you know, how much she loved professional wrestling and how she would love to get into it. And once she got into it, it was absolutely incredible. I was so happy to see someone like her in the wrestling landscape because she was so passionate about it and she was so willing to learn you know from the episodes of total divas that she was on she was always willing to learn more about how to get better and stuff like that so and then her run as champion wasn't bad either um I absolutely loved it and I know there are some people you know on social media who were like split in between it was some people who were okay with Ronda Rousey in her run but then there were other people who felt like oh well it's not that great because you know Becky Lynch happened <laughs> and you know it was just kind of like you know I loved Ronda Rousey's run and when she lost at WrestleMania to Becky Lynch you know for the whole winner take all main event scene I thought she really added a lot to that match and I didn't want her to leave but she left for a while because she wanted to go live life for a minute with her husband and her stepchildren and stuff like that. So if she is coming back, I would welcome her back with open arms because I loved what she had to bring to it. She was just really different. Um, so yeah, if she's coming back, come on back. Um, also in the news, we have Stone Cold Steve Austin and his documentary being announced. It's been announced that, um, per Lillian Garcia on her podcast um, Chasing Glory that Stone Cold Steve Austin might be um, getting a documentary um, akin to Michael Jordan's The Last Dance documentary and I think that'll be interesting for someone like him because he is he was next to The Rock he was probably one of the most um, iconic wrestlers during the Attitude Era but his story was also pretty you know, fascinating in and of itself, because there was a disagreement that he may have had that led him to leaving towards the early 2000s. And he was gone for like a while. And there's a lot of intrigue behind that story in terms of what wrestling is. Now, mind you, they're on good terms now. But there's a lot of intrigue with his story and how he got started in the business and how he sort of, you know, quit after, you know, they fell out and all the other stuff. And now he's back in the fray. You know, what else, you know, what other stories can he tell? And then I also think it's funny, you know, how he has this documentary, but WWE is like, they've been sort of doing documentary stuff for like a very long time in terms of their video series or like their DVDs. And it's so funny because um, my dad was one of those people who would buy almost every DVD that some of these set that WWE would put out, you know, on certain wrestlers. And he has like maybe three of them. 
<laughs> about Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it's just kind of like, uh, what other information don't we know already? So I'm interested to see what they'll pull out. And I'm pretty sure I'll watch it, especially if it's, if it's going to be on Netflix, because I am a Netflix junkie. So I'm always looking for new stuff to watch. Um, so I think that's going to be cool for somebody like him. Also in the news, we have Thunder Rosa and Jazz and how they announced they're going to open up a dojo for women's wrestlers in Texas. So Thunder Rosa, who I had the absolute blessing and pleasure of talking to last week on the last episode of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast, announced at Mission Pro Wrestling's event um, that's called, I believe it's called Out of Hell, <laughs> um, said and announced that they will be opening a women's wrestling dojo. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be really cool how she's doing this. She is so passionate about women's wrestlers and fostering the future of that. So they announced that it's going to be called the Dog Pound Dojo and it's predicted to open in Texas in this December. And it will be available for women who want to train in wrestling. And it'll be and it was announced that Jazz, the legendary um, black female wrestler, will be a trainer for the school. And Mission Pro Wrestling is this is this um, promotion that was started by Thunder Rosa and her husband Brian Cervantes, and they changed it into an all women's promotion where women run the whole show from wrestling, creative, refereeing, announcing, and crew work. So I think this is going to be. I feel like this feeds into more of her journey as being one of the greatest female wrestlers of all time while also fostering into the future of women's wrestling in our interview she talked a lot about how she she wants more opportunities for women in wrestling and if you want to go back and listen to that interview by all means I welcome you to do it because it was an amazing conversation that we had so this is really cool news you know to see and I was just really honored to have her on my show um, also in the news, um, and the final thing is that JTG, who was formerly of Crime Time in WWE with the late great Shad Gaspard, won the VIP Wrestling World Championship this week. Um, I'm not entirely too note like too notified on VIP Wrestling and them as a promotion because it was my first time really hearing about them when he won this title from them. But it seems that they're that they're um said that they're based in Texas because of the their logo was in the shape of the state of Texas on their belt and he was holding the title after winning it and a lot of people in the video that he had posted on Instagram was chanting that he deserved it and he really does deserve it because it felt like um he had been he um had been through a lot with the death of Shad Gaspard this year which was a devastating blow um to the wrestling community as a whole because he was still um not as he was still involved in wrestling by making appearances and stuff like that and the last time we had really seen a video of him was when he was reacting to Kofi Kingston's WWE championship win last year at WrestleMania with MVP um in a it looked like a bar or a restaurant and then he of course passed away after saving his son from a, a water accident so um seeing JTG win this wrestling title meant the world to me and and also because of the fact that he had challenged Cody for the TNT championship but Cody didn't answer that challenge which upset me because if you're gonna have a new star on AEW by all means invite JTG like give him a chance <laughs> like he's still out here wrestling he's still in great shape like come on like give JTG a chance but you know they didn't do anything with that so I don't know 
But congratulations to JTG. He definitely deserves it after a tough year he had. He lost his best friend. Um, and then he also still has, he also has a successful business, I believe this has to do with beard care, um, or hair care for men. So, you know, he's still out here doing great things and that's all for news and gossipish. And now we're going to go to, um, wrestling fan story time. Okay, so I know it's been a while, <laughs> but I'm going to do a story time right now. Like, I really know it's been a minute since I've done something like this. So in this story time, I'm going to talk about a conversation that led me to talk about whether how I feel about wrestling being labeled as fake. Um, this week I went to a restaurant to get some food, um, before Raw came on. So I, um, ran into this person who's like a TV personality here in the city of Birmingham. And I introduced myself and we talked, um, for a little bit. And, um, I told him that I do a wrestling podcast and he, you know, Something that happens to me a whole lot when I tell people who don't know me that I'm a wrestling fan, they kind of give me a look. And I don't know if any other wrestling fans get this look, but he gave me this look that was like, oh, really? You know, and I don't know if it's because I'm a girl or if it's because I look when you first see me, I, I guess I give off the impression that I wouldn't be into wrestling because I'm a very feminine person. I don't know what it is, but um, it's just they just give me a look sometimes or give me a reaction and he told me um that he remembered seeing an interview at one point where this um interviewer asked this wrestler i believe i found this too it was vader and he asked him you know about wrestling being fake and he smacked him or grabbed him by the neck and asked him you know does that feel fake to you does that feel fake to you and of course the reporter was shook up um once that happened and once he felt that blow so this led me to want to talk about how as a wrestling fan throughout my entire life i've heard people call it fake and um when I was young, I never really knew what to say to that because um, when I was like a kid, you know, and watching it, you know, I knew I was watching it, you know, with my dad for fun and all of that. But it was always around the time of which we would be watching wrestling, you know, during a family get together for like a holiday, say like the 4th of July or for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. Um, we would be surrounded by other family members who didn't watch wrestling. And they would always sort of sneer at us and sort of wonder like how do you watch that that's fake and i don't know if my dad would really respond to it or i think he would just ignore it or and i didn't know what to say either because i'm a child and i don't know how to defend whether or not something's fake at the time so i'm so i just know this is just one of my favorite things and i'm just still watching it um the older i get and the more deeper i look into wrestling you know the more i realized that some of this stuff really isn't fake or at least i would just begin to dispute anyone who would call it fake simply because of the fact that i know that the way people would say it it would come off very negative and they'd be like oh wrestling's fake i don't know why you even watch that yeah, 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 yeah. and i'd be like you know what no it's not leave me alone now mind you i didn't have any proof of it you know 
with the, the older I would get, but I would just fight back and just say, no, it's not. It's actually really cool. Leave it alone. But then the older I got from high school up until college, up until now, um, and the deeper and more deeper I would look into it from watching um, documentaries and, you know, listening to people talk about certain injuries and stuff like that, or people talking about the after effects of head injuries and stuff like that, the more I started to realize how less fake wrestling is. And also what definitely, you know, brought it home for me of how not fake wrestling is, was hearing about the injuries of Daniel Bryan and hearing why he had to retire and his neck issues you know and head issues and stuff like that and I feel like ultimately that's kind of what did it for me and also with people like Edge who had who would have to retire simply because of his neck issues and his nerve issues with his arms and stuff um I saw his last match you know at WrestleMania 27 and then a week later he would have to retire due to his neck issues and his arm issues now mind you he's a part-time wrestler now he's back but at the same time you know, this is where I'm beginning to become more aware of the fact that this isn't just a, you know, a sport that people just do for fun, that you can get into some accidents. You know, I would never understand why people would say, oh, don't try this at home, you know, when I was a child. But then the older I got, the more I started to realize why, because this really isn't fake and it's not for the faint of heart. I feel like a lot of people feel like wrestling is fake because when they look at it, and it's like they compare it to other sports that they consider more legitimate, like, say, football or basketball or baseball. When someone gets injured in either one of those sports, you see the immediate you you almost most of the time about a good 95% of the time see the immediate um effect of a player being injured they fall down you see an ankle is twisted you know out of place a knee is popped out of place there was one basketball player i know who had a leg bone pop out you know from being injured who played college basketball um sometimes it's really graphic and sometimes it's out there you know for you to see immediately Sometimes whenever, but then it, when it comes to wrestling, when someone is injured, you don't necessarily see the immediate after effect of it because of the fact that they will either keep wrestling or keep the show going if they can, or if they're, you know, or if they're injured in some way, shape or form, the referee will throw up the, the X sign with his arm and tell them and tell, you know, the official that they can't continue the match and then they carry them off you know, to be tended to. And, and definitely, I know when I was watching when I was a kid, I was never really able to see the full on effects of it until my father would say so. Because I remember when Triple H got injured um, with his quad, my dad had to explain to me, you know, what happened. Because when I watched that old footage back with him um, one Saturday when I was a kid, he told me, you know, how it happened and he showed me, you know, where on the body it got it got torn and how it happened. Because at first glance, if you don't know anything about the human body, you know, you don't understand what's happened. So I'm just looking at it like, OK, he's wrestling and he fell. But no, like there's a whole lot more to it than just that. And they cover it up so well in terms of wrestling sometimes because they have to keep the show going that you can barely tell what's going on. And it's just, I hate it when people 
say that wrestling is fake because they don't know what actually goes into it. Um, I remember Ric Flair saying in his 30 for 30 documentary that came out a few years back where he said that wrestling is not fake, it's choreographed. Because in terms of professional wrestling, there's still athleticism that goes behind everything that they do, but they have to plan out everything that they're going to do um, beforehand because they need to because they've been trained on how to keep each other safe. If you wrestle unsafely, you can carelessly hurt the person that you're fighting with. And that's not, you know, considerate of them. You know, that's that's really rude. Like if you're wrestling someone and you're not keeping them safe um, and you're not, you know, putting them over, you know, the right way, then that basically shows that you're careless about what you're doing. And I think that's a part of the reason why people like Nia Jax, you know, got a whole lot of flack for doing a lot of the stuff that she did, especially when she punched Becky Lynch in the face um, the incorrect way and broke her nose. Like that's a legit terrible thing like even though it wound up turning Becky Lynch into more of a superstar than she already was that wasn't supposed to happen there is a safe way to hit there is a safe way to punch there is a safe way to kick and I think ultimately that's what they do you know even though there are people in wrestling who've been wrestling in the independence for as long as they can remember for about 10 to maybe 15 years at a time you can't just go on WWE television you know unpolished and do something like that because you might wind up hurting them permanently or just temporarily for a couple of months because you know and they can't work that's not fair so I think that's why places like the performance center exist because they'll take these wrestlers who have all this raw talent and polish them in order for them to get better and I know this is going to sound unpopular but even in um AEW they'll have um they have a couple of people who come from the indies or a couple of people who hadn't wrestled in say a while if they came came from WWE or somewhere else and they hadn't wrestled in a while but then they'll put them on television just to wrestle and then they you know begin to mess up a little bit or they tend to get a little bit sloppy or sometimes you'll have moments where like Shotzi Blackheart had um, on NXT this past week where she was trying to do um, a hop up on the top rope and she wound up slipping even though she was really emotional, you know, or her character was really emotional or something like that. And she you could, you know, put it off as that there's still a level of cleanliness that has to go into being on television because it's a little bit different than you just wrestling um, matches on the independent circuit. It's a little bit more you know, it's, a, it's just a little bit more that goes into it than that. And I feel like people from the outside looking in just don't take into account the amount of wear and tear that wrestling does and puts on your body. Because um, I'll never forget meeting Charlotte Flair. You know, she had on like the nicest outfit and everything. And she had on these high heels, but on her legs were bruises. You know, like there were small bruises, but there were still bruises nonetheless. Like it, it, it puts wear and tear on your body. And if your body isn't conditioned correctly, and if you are not as, you know, athletic and as athletically sound and in shape, you know, as you could be, you could mess around and hurt yourself. So especially on a full time schedule like that. So to anybody who thinks that wrestling is fake, please understand that it isn't because there are people who 
now can't wrestle like people like Paige who's been wrestling ever since she was a child she can't wrestle now because her neck is messed up and because she suffered from scoliosis and she got kicked in the neck during a match and she had to retire from wrestling full-time and she had been wrestling her whole life there are people like Chris Benoit got like and I hate to mention this but um who had lots of wear and tear on his mind and on his brain due to um, CTE issues. And he wound up doing what he did to his family. Um, you can't... Now, mind you, WWE has played, has put protocols in place to help wrestlers keep themselves safe from unnecessary head injuries and lacerations like that. But you have to understand the truth of the matter. Wrestling is not just something that you look at for entertainment and it's not just, you know, a fun version of a three ring circus it's still a sport and it deserves to be treated with the same respect and reference as every other sport so just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that you call it you should call it fake and if you encounter a wrestling fan out in public or if you're friends with a wrestling fan or whatever don't ever call it fake to them because I'm pretty sure they will either check you or get you together and tell you all the reasons as to why it isn't just like I just told you and or they might just stare at you and just be like okay and just move on with their life um but something that my boyfriend used to always say um when we first got together is like when people call wrestling fake he said he brings up all kinds of other examples of television shows that are fake as well like Grey's Anatomy that's fake because you know that's written you know like a script just like the stories on WWE and AEW and impact are written like a script but the athleticism is still very much real but just like every other tv show like a reality show or like a tv show like Grey's Anatomy or ER or um Insecure or stuff like that there's levels of realism that's placed into them but at the end of the day it's still fiction um but just because wrestling has written scripts and everything doesn't also mean that it's fake wrestling is not fake it's a choreographed sport that still takes athletic conditioning to do and everybody can't do it so if you ask me if wrestling is fake it ain't it's very real very very real it ain't fake and if you ever call it fake to my face i will get you together nicely with a smile on my face and that's the end of the story Right, so now we're gonna start our weekly recap with Monday Night Raw. Um, this of course emanated from the Thunderdome, like it has been over the past couple of months. I don't even know why I even said that like that. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna start with the women, and something that was intriguing to me was the Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke versus Nia Jackson and Shayna Baszler match for the tag titles, and I was really hoping that Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke were going to actually come away with the titles simply because even though I know they're on the same team for the Survivor Series um, match with the women um, for Team Raw, it's just I have been wanting low-key for Mandy Rose to get a tag title ever since she was with um, Sonya Deville, but then they broke them up. Um, and it's just, they just keep alluding, they, she 
the tag titles just keep eluding Mandy Rose. And it makes me so sad because it's just like, she deserves a title at some point. Even though I know that might be unpopular to say. It's just the fact that I just feel like she's just really talented in her own way. And I really feel like she could definitely, you know benefit from having a title at some point whether it be a tag title or a singles title i mean gosh like give her a chance wwe anyway they fought each other and it was really cool because mandy rose and dana brooke were able to show and dominate you know with their onslaught of two-on-one stuff and then they were isolating Shayna baszler and nia jackson for a minute it felt like they really could have won but um then I feel like there were a lot of distractions coming forth from Lana, who's had a beef, you know, with Nia Jackson and Shayna Baszler because they keep bullying her and smashing her through the announce table for now seven weeks in a row. And it's just she came out there to try to distract Nia Jax and um, Shayna Baszler from winning. But as she was trying to distract them, Dana Brooks had scored a roll up, but then it's just like Shayna Baszler kicked out and she threw um, Dana Brooks into Lana and then Shayna Baszler locked in the Kira Fuda clutch on Dana Brooks for the win. So they were able to retain their tag titles. Bore, snore, dang it. Um, and now it's just now there's the whole anger that Lana you know feels towards Nia Jax and then later on in the show Lana and Nia Jax had a match to sort of you know I guess air out their differences so Nia was just trying to you know destroy Lana Lana's career and she said as much backstage so she talked a lot of trash during the match and then she basically you know dominated her she she bowled her over like tossed her around the ring like a ring like a rag doll um she picked her up at the count of two and clearly told him her emotions and then she dropped her with a Samoan drop for the win and then of course after the match um Nia Jax had Shayna Baszler, you know, pick up the opponent from there. She sent Lana into the guardrail and then drove her through the announce table for, like I said, the seventh week in a row. And it's just at this point, I don't know if this is a joke or something. And I'm trying really hard not to believe that WWE is trying to like bully her or something like that. Or maybe they have something else on the horizon for her. But it's just so hard to, you know, get invested in that when they keep doing the same things over and over again. And I hate to say this, but it's just some, I feel like Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler aren't as compelling of a tag team as I thought that they would be. And I guess it's because of how they're being booked and how less we see them on TV sometimes. And I know we're probably going to see more of them, you know, the closer we get to Survivor Series, you know, to see how they actually function as a unit along with Mandy Rose and um, Dana Brooke and Lana. But it's just a little bit of a struggle to get invested in them because it feels like no one's truly invested in them on the show um, in terms of backstage. And it's just kind of like, it's so sad because they're so talented, but it's just not, it's just not the best it, it could be. The women's division on Raw, it's just not the best that it could be at this point. And I feel like really the only thing, um, another great thing that happened on Raw this week was Alexa Bliss and her participating in the Fiend stuff um, and getting inside the head of Randy Orton. 
um and stuff like that and also we saw her interaction with nikki cross and how you know she tried to you know say hi to her but then you know and try to ask her what's going on but then she saw her demon eyes and it was just really crazy but i'll talk more about um alexa bliss a little bit later so the show started with um randy orton declaring himself you know the best period um and if he was claiming that he was superior to everyone in the locker room and he mentioned the likes of edge the undertaker and drew mcintyre and he said the reason why i'm in the position i'm in is because i am the best and instead of just being called the legend killer i am just now simply a legend and um and then he also went on to admit that he knows that there is a bullseye on his back because he's the wwe champion and he dared anyone to come and to come to take the title from him. So Alexa Bliss made her way to the ring and then she and him, you know, participated in a back and forth. And then she said, you know, he could be here referring to the fiend. And then the arena got dark. And then, of course, you heard the shrill that happens in um, the Fiend's theme song. But then it's like when the lights came on, Alexa Bliss was gone. And then Drew McIntyre delivered a Claymore kick. And he dared Randy Orton to give him a rematch for his title. So, and then he vowed to make his life a living H-word. So, um, Drew McIntyre went backstage. And then The Miz and John Morrison came out of nowhere and tried to catch in on Randy Orton. But then... Drew McIntyre interrupted him, you know, and by tossing them from the ring and claimed that no one is going to take the title from Randy Orton except for him. So this was pretty good and pretty intense. And it gives off the impression that everybody and their mama really is after Roman, um, not Roman, Randy Orton um, for that title. Of course, you have Drew McIntyre who wants his title back, the title back that he worked so hard to get. You have The Miz working really hard to try to cash in his money in the bank contract and then of course you have the fiend and alexa bliss who are just trying to eat eat his head and you know probably also take the title but then also just eat his head and get revenge so <laughs> it's just um really interesting and i like that it's a whole three three-way thing going on with this whole feud so maybe it might lead to like a fatal four-way who knows um after survivor series of course because randy orton has to face roman reigns um with the whole brand 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 versus brand thing so we also had a guitar on a pole match featuring jeff hardy hardy gang hardy gang and elias of course elias sang a song you know before the match started um accusing jeff hardy of being the one who ran him over and injured him a couple of months back even though we all know it was sheamus but he still believing that it was jeff hardy and so the guitar on a pole match is based the object of it is basically whoever retrieves the instrument off the pole you know and smashes it over the opponent and hits the one two three wins the match um elias dominated really early in the match you know he was beating up and pounding away at jeff hardy and showcased renewed intensity but then jeff hardy however fought back delivering a twist of fate and then scaling the ropes um he attempted to grab the guitar but then elias grabbed his ankle but then jeff hardy fought him off and grabbed the guitar and cracked it over his back and picked up the win so jeff hardy won um this match but here's hoping that this will probably be it but i feel like it won't be until jeff hardy can prove that it was actually sheamus who attacked him but sheamus is now getting his you know groove on you know with team raw so i don't even know what's gonna happen from that so we'll see um also with the men you had r-truth versus bobby lashley and 
for some reason r-truth thought he was going to face bobby boucher of Waterboy, um of the wa- movie the water boy so um he was just kind of confused with this match was like really short so bobby lashley basically made quick work of um truth and then after he had truth tap out in the hurt lock um and force a submission after he won drew gulak came out to try to get the 24 7 championship from r-truth only to find himself locked into the hurt the hurt lock as well so then lashley let go of drew gulak and put him on top of r-truth to get um the one two three to win the 24 7 title back and i thought that was really weird i was just like so you're gonna beat him up and then help him win a title i thought that was really strange but okay drew gulak has a 24 7 title now and i still think it's kind of awkward because i just remember him being so serious in 205 live and being the cruiserweight champion but um I don't know if they're going to go, you know, just have him do the comic thing or possibly, you know, I would love it if they actually, you know, took some of this, some of these people more seriously. But you got to have some comedy mixed in there because there's so much serious stuff going on in wrestling. So, yeah. Then we had the segment involving Team Raw or what is of Team Raw now. Um, AJ Styles came out with his bodyguard Jordan and you know he talked about how he should be established as the leader or or the captain of Team Raw for Survivor Series and he introduced Sheamus and Keith Lee and quickly attempted to try to like keep the peace between them because of course they were fighting and then Braun Strowman came out um, as they were going back and forth and then he said the only team this team the only thing that this team needs is these hands and then Keith Lee reminded his um reminded him that all that they all had to qualify for the match to which um Strowman scoffed and claimed he should be he should be the team captain. And then Adam Pierce, probably the best on-screen um authority figure in all of wrestling history, appeared and basically said that Strowman needs a qualifying match but he can't find an appropriate opponent. But then AJ Styles said that Keith that Keith Lee Seamus and Braun Strowman should fight each other you know and he agreed to that so this match happened and it was really good like you just had these really big hosses beating each other up throwing each other around just being incredibly powerful for one another you know to one another and it was just absolutely incredible so Braun Strowman wound up beating Sheamus and Keith Lee um, by catching Sheamus in a power slam and putting him away to earn his way onto Team Raw. So after they wound up winning, he wound up winning his match, they all proceeded to beat up on each other, even though it looked like they were, you know, trying to, you know, come together as a team and say, oh, we need to work together, you know, you know, and, you know, just come together so we can beat up team smackdown right but they proceeded to kick each other out of the ring punch each other beat each other up and all of that and then aj styles wound up doing it even though he's you know classifying himself as a leader but he was the one who wound up you know hitting the last blow and i'm just and then he said to himself why can't we all just get along and i'm just like because this is wrestling and y'all hate each other (laughs) so that was interesting so will they be able to come together to beat up team smackdown who knows 
but right now it's not looking very promising for team raw at all then we had the firefly funhouse and drew mac this was um after drew mcintyre accepted the challenge for a handicap match against the miz and john morrison that night so bray wyatt admitted that randy orton was a very bad man in the past which was alluding to randy orton burning down um his compound a long time ago and he started to say um he was going to build a new world with the ashes from the fire that burned down the compound and then he says unfortunately it can't be that simple because he never forgets and then alexa bliss showed a new trick that she was able to do and it looked like a giant fruit roll-up was rolling out of her mouth except it was more melted and way darker red but she was making her tongue kind of ooze out of her mouth with her demon eyes and everything and then um bray wyatt yelled out oh s-word you know to close stuff out and then the firefly funhouse segment ended and i feel like these two are probably one of the most intriguing parts about monday night raw as a whole because their their banter with each other and the way they work together just reminds me and i keep saying this every week it just reminds me of the joker and harley quinn except bray wyatt's not being abusive to alexa bliss um at all like they just work together like if they were it's like they're like a more functional um joker and harley quinn scenario and it is just so cool watching them you know watching alexa sort of become this new character because for a while i was kind of wondering you know what was she gonna do outside of having the tag titles or being pushed in a main title you know scenario and this character work is definitely one of the best things she's ever done so i love how she's working with him and it's just really cool then we had a tag team match between the new day and the hurt business so this started with mvp hosting the mvp lounge where he and shelton benjamin expressed their desire for the raw tag team um championships to the extent that the hurt business said it wanted um wanted them in repayment for ridding the company of his retribution problem um but then the new day came out and ran down its list of accomplishments including kofi kingston's wwe championship reign which i've discussed multiple times on this show and will probably never stop discussing for the rest of my natural born life anyway <laughs> um kingston and mvp traded barbs you know back and forth and i thought this was funny because like i said earlier in the news and gossipers segment mvp watched him win that title and he said so on raw um he said just as much on raw and they were just you know going back and forth at each other and mvp said weren't you also the same guy you know who lost your wwe championship you know in 10 seconds to brock lesnar which is something i don't like to bring up but then kofi you know hit back and said at least i why you always got to bring up old stuff at least i want it because mvp never won the wwe championship he never did like it's so sad but it's the truth he never did win it so um basically they fought the new day kofi and xavier fought shelton benjamin and cedric alexander and kingston and xavier frustrated alexander um in the beginning and then there was a big boot from 
um, Shelton Benjamin and that allowed them to take control. Kofi Kingston tagged in Woods and he was able to show off a lot of his athleticism here. And I just feel like Xavier Woods is one of the most underrated wrestlers in all of WWE at this point because he does a lot of tag team stuff. And I but I and I literally feel like if WWE had given him the chance to be a solo star, you know, he probably would have been, you know, a solo star on his own. But, you know, that's just how the cookie crumbles. So he was doing okay, you know, and taking the fight to Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin until he was sent off the top rope to the floor. And from here, um, Benjamin and Alexander isolated Xavier, cutting him off from Kofi Kingston and working him over in their corner. And they dominated the action throughout the commercial break. But then Xavier delivered an enziguri kick that allowed him to create separation and make the tag to Kingston. And then Kingston exploded into the match and then mocked MVP by saying ball in and then delivered the boom drop to Cedric Alexander. And then um, as it all broke down, Shelton Benjamin missed a blind tag to Woods, who delivered a big DDT for a near fall. But then um, it was another blind tag that was missed by Woods that allowed Shelton Benjamin to deliver pay dirt and Alexander followed the neuralizer to win. So we have this new tag team in the form of Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander beating the established tag team of the new day. Um, and I guess this is going to put them in the title hunt for the raw tag team titles. And this is going to be interesting. I think it's going to be great. Um, because you have these two incredibly talented individuals in the form of Cedric and Shelton going up against Kofi, um, and Xavier as this, you know, legendary tag team at this point. Um, after the whole Survivor Series dynamic is over with them fighting the Street Profits at um, Survivor Series. But something that was brought up to me um, in a message thread this week was the reason as to why the Her Business always has a tendency to go after um, other wrestlers of color or other black wrestlers. And I think it was Vince Russo who may have given off the impression that maybe... He, that maybe he feels like WWE um, is being tone deaf in the fact that they're responding to everything that has happened this year with African-Americans on television, with these with this dominant African-American team always going after other African-American wrestlers or trying to recruit other African-American wrestlers to their um, her business roster. And I would very much like to hope that there isn't anything overtly negative or, you know, subconsciously negative that they're making the her business do. Because from what I hear about the her business and MVP also being a producer backstage, that this is something that he's, you know, created and that maybe this is his baby. Um, and that maybe this is just his way of putting more black male wrestlers on television. Um, so this is what I'm hoping it is. I'm hoping that it's something positive um, and not anything to try to undercut the feeling of the movement that happened this summer through something tragic that happened, you know, and with so many black wrestlers coming out and saying or doing, you know, different things in order to, to express their feelings about what's been going on in the world involving police brutality and black lives matter so i hope that there isn't anything negative behind it so that's all i'm gonna say to that um then we had another match um with ricochet versus tucker and i thought this was a very puzzling choice because tucker had just turned on otis his um heavy machinery brethren um and turned heel 
But Ricochet was allowed to basically win this match um, with a recoil. And then Mustafa Ali orchestrated an attack um, with retribution that, you know, ended with them standing tall. And it's like, I understand having a feud with Ricochet and Ali because they have a lot that they could offer in terms of their athleticism or whatnot. But Tucker just being thrust out there to lose after he stabbed Otis in the back after they got split up between Raw and SmackDown just didn't make any sense to me. Like, it really just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, and the way that they're sort of making Retribution look after beefing them up to look like this this really sinister group and all of that, and now, you know, placing Mustafa Ali as its leader, you know, just kind of makes no sense for, for them to keep beating up on people from behind only to get in in-ring action and lose. It's just really weird. So I hope that they strain it out and I'm trying to have faith because I did listen to the interview that Mustafa Ali did with Corey Graves on After the Bell, which I do recommend you listen to because it's great. Um, I'm trying to trust that there's a purpose behind everything that's happening, just like he said for us to trust. So yeah, there's that. And then Raw ended with Drew McIntyre versus The Miz and John Morrison. Drew McIntyre, um, of course, like I said earlier, prevented The Miz from cashing in money in the bank on Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. Um, McIntyre controlled the match early, chopping into The Miz's chest. Um, and then he dominated heading into the commercial break. And then back from the commercial break, John Morrison and The Miz sent McIntyre into the guardrail and worked over um, him. And then they looked to keep him grounded by working with a mat-based offense. And then... John Morrison took the fight onto the top rope, you know, doing his parkour high flying stuff where McIntyre delivered a massive release German suplex from the top rope. Then the Miz tagged in, but then immediately felt the wrath of Drew. Um, and then Drew was surviving everything that was thrown at him, including a skull crushing finale in the closing moments. Um, and then Drew delivered the future shot DDT and set up Miz for the Claymore. But then John Morrison pulled his partner to the sanctuary of the floor afterward, to which um, Drew responded with a plancha over the top rope. Then, um, after putting the opponents back inside, McIntyre delivered the Claymore for the win. But then as he was celebrating his win, of course, Randy Orton, being the big party pooper, came out of nowhere to deliver an RKO to him. And then he stood tall until Bray Wyatt was laughing in the arena and Randy Orton looked kind of terrified. And that's how Raw ended. <laughs> and now we're gonna recap NXT. Okay, so um, now we're gonna recap NXT. Um, this actually started with a women's match. It started with Ember Moon versus Dakota Kai. And Ember Moon was trying to set the um, set a record straight with um, Dakota Kai and cash in a receipt because Dakota Kai had attacked her after her um, returning match a couple weeks ago. So they were going to fight each other. So Ember Moon came in with all of her strength. And then Dakota Kai came out with her equalizer in the form in the form of Raquel Gonzalez. So Dakota Kai took advantage as she slipped out of the grip of the warrior goddess. Um, then she dodged 
Ember Moon's suicide dive, sending her heart into like the barricade. And then Dakota Kai kicked Ember Moon into the mat over and over again. But then Ember Moon goaded her into a technical fight where Moon managed to trap her in a label lock, which I thought was really cool. Like, I really love these girls and how they transition into submissions with each other. This was an absolutely stellar match. Um, then Ember Moon fought to the top rope, but then as she was on the top rope and probably getting ready to hit her Eclipse finisher, freaking Ra Raquel Gonzalez distracted her and then allowed for Dakota Kai to hit a hanging GTK for the win. And then afterward, um, Dakota Kai told the camera as well as, an, as well as Ember Moon that she was not the same woman that she was when Ember Moon last met Dakota Kai. Because she did mention that when, that when, before Ember Moon left, um to go to the main roster Dakota Kai was afraid of her own shadow and she was you know this sweet girl who was best friends with um Tegan Knox at the time and then of course she went on to turn heel on her at war games and she grew into this evil person and now she's more aggressive and she was actually able to slip the win with a cheating tactic on Ember Moon which proves that this feud is far from over but this was a really good match and I look forward to seeing more from them um then also with the women, we had a match with Shotzi Blackheart versus Tony Storm. And this wound up being almost, it started off as a friendly um, challenge um, for one another. But um, Blackheart was angry um, because she stormed to the ring without her tank. And she blamed Tony Storm for stealing it to try to get in her head. Um, and then Tony Storm took the early lead in a contest because, of course, Shotzi was still distraught from having lost her tank. And this was a fast moving contest and they were on each other the entire time. It was really cool. Um, Tony was never quite able to escape Shotzi's favorite style, which I which I call more of a wrecking ball and technical style. Um, then Shotzi blasted Storm every moment she got, you know, even hitting a dangerous springboard DDT to the apron. But then as the match went on, Candice LeRae, you know, who I guess is still bitter from Shotzi sort of um, interfering in her tables, ladders, and scares match from Halloween Havoc with Io Shirai, causing her to lose the NXT Women's Title. Uh, she appeared on the Titantron and then told Shotzi that she stole that she was the one who stole her tank. And then she, and then she was as she was distracted, Tony Storm stacked her up for a three count and won the match. But then Candice LeRae, um was seen in a truck and then she ran over Shotzi's tank with a truck and then Shotzi was really distraught and she was crying in the ring screaming in the ring as Tony Storm tried to console her and it was so sad because as she ran out backstage in an exclusive video on WWE.com and McKenzie running after her she ran out and found her tank in pieces and it was so sad because Shotzi was just you know, all over the place. She was just distraught and it was so sad. And I think this kind of shows more of her performance as an actress. And I thought this was really cool to see here because she was able to show more of her acting um, as she was, you know, portraying the whole creepy host girl for Halloween Havoc. And now she's showing more of her performance style here with this acting and with her wanting to possibly take revenge on Candice LeRae for stealing her tank and destroying it with the truck. And I cannot wait to see her do it because Candice LeRae is just a bitter Barbie and I can't wait 
to watch her destroy her and that's pretty much well now that's not all what happened with the women um Io Shirai challenged Rhea Ripley um to a NXT women's title match and Rhea Ripley accepted it so um they're going to fight at some point and that's going to be really cool um because honestly Io Shirai never really beat Rhea Ripley well no I think she did cover Rhea Ripley in there um in that three-way that she had with Charlotte Flair for the NXT Women's title at In Your House a few months back. So we're going to see them fight again. So that's going to be cool. So with the men, we had a match with Cameron Grimes versus Kushida. Um, Cameron Grimes was interviewed backstage and then he ran off when he saw a referee because he looked similar to the referee zombie he ran up on in his Haunted House match with Dexter Loomis last week. Um, Kushida then went after the arm of um Cameron Grimes early who fought back with boots to um Kushida then Cameron Grimes got more into the fight as it progressed feeding off the physicality from Kushida but then um it got too intense for the referee who took a bad bump and then the zombie referee stepped in to take his place but then Kushida caught um Cameron Grimes with the hoverboard hoverboard lock for a tap out so Cameron Grimes wound up submitting to Kushida because he couldn't get past all of his fears of the zombie referee and the um haunted house match that he had last week so yeah um that was interesting it's so funny to see Cameron Grimes who was once one of the most obnoxiously confident superstars to get knocked down a peg all because of the supernatural it's really funny then you had Drake Maverick and Killian Dane um versus Everize again so Everize capitalized on the opportunity to isolate Drake Maverick as long as possible in his match Matt Martell taunted Drake Maverick while Chase Parker made sure he couldn't tag in Killian Dan and then as the match progressed Pat McAfee arrived with Pete Dunne, Oni Lorcan, and Danny Burch the NXT tag team champions and they stomped onto the ring to beat up everybody, causing a no contest. And then they celebrated with a camera in the ring, looking over the carnage that they had caused. And then Pat McAfee cut a pay-per-view that sort of reminded me of Hulk Hogan from WCW when he had turned heel with the NWO. You know, him just talking and being his regular, yeah, I'm the leader of this group now kind of deal. Um, and he paid tribute to the Undisputed Era as as it passed the torch to the kings of nxt and i guess that's what they're calling themselves now the kings of nxt i don't know um pete dunn explained that he still had not forgiven roderick strong for turning against him a few years back in their match um for the dusty rose tag team classic i think it was either for the tag team classic or for the tag team titles i'm not, uh i can't remember but i think i really feel like it was for the tag team classic though um and roger strong turned on him in order to join the undisputed era and then Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, you know, were finished with the Undisputed Era, getting all the opportunities that they deserved, which is a valid point because when it comes to the Undisputed Era, they were kind of like title hoggers. They hogged on to every title known to man at one point. <laughs> and when you have somebody like Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, who were kind of like the workhorses of the tag team division, um, I could imagine that they were very frustrated with these guys, you know, have fulfilling the golden prophecy, as they used to say. So then Killian Dane tried to get some revenge on the group as they walked out, you know, after their after they burned the Undisputed Era flag and declared them dead and all of that, which I thought was really bold to do. Um, they beat up Killian Dane and then Pete Dunne basically took the car door and smashed it into Killian Dane's um, head 
which caused him to bleed from the mouth and that was really really vicious and there's rumors going around that this is beefing up a war games match you know that's set to come up at some point whether i don't know if it's this month possibly or in january i'm not sure but i think this is going to be phenomenal either way then we had a match against jake at well it wasn't a match it was sort of like jake atlas going after um legado del fantasma um in the parking lot jake atlas attacked joaquin wilde and raul mendoza with a steel pipe and then he um this was during after an interview santos escobar was giving saying that he had defeated jake atlas fair and square knowing full well he cheated because that's what cruiserweight champions do they cheat then um timothy thatcher continued to torture some um some members of the performance center as students in his live session of the thatch at the as during his thatcher um wrestling school thing he injured a man's elbow and then nearly popped his ankle before anthony green attacked thatcher and sent him running away and i think i'm not as intrigued with the whole wrestling school thing like i was at first but it is interesting to see a trainee sort of, you know, bounce back and and fight back against Timothy Thatcher and not have him, you know, bully his students over and over again. So that was really good. Then there was a segment involving Zia Lee. Um, and I know I should have mentioned her sort of like in the women's segment. And she was asked by Mackenzie about the letters that she had received from Boa. But then she had basically said that these letters were from her family, but she wouldn't explain anymore. But then she got another letter from William Regal and then she demanded a match against Raquel Gonzalez who had dishonored her. And I think this story is kind of interesting because it's like she sort of was a face but then she kept losing a whole lot and then she turned heel and it seemed like she was under the guidance of Boa for a second and then he kind of disappeared and now it's like this mystery shrouded around why she's had an attitude change. And who knows, she might come out with an upset and beat Raquel Gonzalez next week. I don't know. We'll see. So, yeah, that happened. And then for the main event, we had Tommaso Ciampa versus Velveteen Dream. And um, Tommaso Ciampa was trying to destroy Velveteen Dream's arm from the start. He broke it. <laughs> he broke it. And then he continued to target the left arm with his attacks. And then... Velveteen Dream was barely able to defend himself from the onslaught. And, and then he had even given Tommaso Ciampa a black eye, but that still didn't help. And then Dream finally stopped um, Tommaso Ciampa with a spine buster, um, which finally evened up the contest as the two struggled, you know, to finish the match. Then Velveteen Dream got mad and went for a steel chair, but then the referee caught him. And then in all of the confusion, Tommaso Ciampa caught him with a high knee, um, and then hit him with the Willow's Bell and the fairy tale ending for the win. And this match was pretty okay, but I'm still puzzled as to what's happening with Velveteen Dream. Um, I know that he was dealing with a lot of personal issues that a lot of people online feel like he shouldn't be on TV anymore based off of all the accusations that were surrounding him and all that. But I'm just wondering, what is up with this? You know, if they're not... I don't understand what's what's up with the Velveteen Dream. I don't know what his character is supposed to be now. And I think it's sad because it was so well-defined. And now that he's turned heel, it's not as defined as it once was. And I just don't know what's going on. It's almost like everybody's running through him and beating him. And this is almost feeling like the punishment that everyone is possibly saying 
Lana is getting. But this actually feels like a punishment every week to watch someone who was so highly regarded kind of just fall down by the wayside. And I don't know if it's storyline or if it's real, but it's kind of painful to watch. So that's how NXT ended. And now we're going to recap SmackDown. Right, and for the last weekly recap, we're going to recap SmackDown. Now, SmackDown actually started with a women's match, just like NXT. And it started with the SmackDown women's title match between Bayley and Sasha Banks. Bayley is trying to get her title back from Sasha, who won it from her at Hell in a Cell in an absolutely stellar match. Um, and this match actually was, rel- was relatively stellar as well. These two just always bring out the best in each other. And it never fails. Um, it was a very, like, emotional um, match. So, well, not emotional match. It was it was emotional in the sense that they had lots of callbacks to their other matches by using each other's finishers and stuff like that. And it was very vicious in terms of them sort of jumping all over each other. Sasha Banks' knees and her meteoros were fantastic. Bailey and her underhanded tactics of trying to cheat was fantastic. This whole match was just really, really physical and really, really good. Um, I enjoyed every inch of this match. I was so happy to see Sasha Banks just sort of, you know, um, fight from underneath um, because it just seemed like whenever Sasha was taking advantage of Bailey, Bailey would always t- try to somehow take advantage of her. And it was just a really great back and forth between the two. Bailey was trying to cheat with kendo sticks and chairs. Sasha would catch her every time. Like, it was just too good. There was even a point where Bailey even applied the bank statement to her, trying to get her to u- to lose um, to her own finisher. That would have sucked. But then Sasha fought back and then answered with her own backstabber and bank statement. And then Bailey finally tapped out for Sasha to retain her SmackDown women's title. And this was a point of the story of Sasha not being able to retain any of the titles as she wins. And I was so, so glad that Sasha Banks was able to retain her SmackDown women's title. And I'm so glad that as Sasha was leaving, you know, the ring, she was talking about, you know, all of the possibilities of which is to come for her to face different people that she's never fought before. With her as champion, she could fight people like Zelina Vega. She could fight somebody like Bianca Belair. But, you know, with all these possibilities, you have Carmella who came out of nowhere and kicked her in the face. And, um, you know, basically bragged about her you know saying you know I'm the new one I'm the untouchable one and that she can basically do whatever she wanted to to Sasha Banks she said that on social media and then she debuted you know her new look which I thought was really cute it was like a red sort of candy apple dominatrix kind of thing it was really cute so um Carmella is back um with this new look and everything and this new attitude so I'm intrigued and there were a lot of people online who was mad about Carmella being the next in line to go after Sasha Banks in the Smackdown women's title because I feel like lately Carmella just gets not even just lately but over the past couple of years Carmella just gets a bad rap and I feel like a part of the reason why um, she gets a bad rap is because of the fact that she might fit the description of what an older diva, you know, back in the day used to be like sort of like the skinny blonde or the skinny brunette, depending on which era you caught her in. Um, sort of not starting off in wrestling like the, like an independent wrestler, like say a Sasha Banks or a Bailey. Um, 
but you know she started off as a dancer and stuff like that but it's like what she lacks and even though she's a great entertainer you know she's not it's like everything that she lacks as a wrestler she makes up for it in being entertaining but at the same time she doesn't lack completely in being a wrestler either um she's still relatively good and really relatively athletic as well and I feel like she deserves more credit than a lot of people give her she's not really as bad as people make her out to be and she's just all around a nice person for what I hear I've never met her but I hear she's a nice person and because I listen to her podcast that she has with Corey Graves um she's funny and I feel like she and I have a lot in common so um it's just I feel like she just gets a bad rap all around because a lot of people just don't give her a chance but I'm intrigued by the story of Carmella you know going after Sasha Banks so I think that's gonna be cool um I I did almost feel a little bit weird about Sasha Banks and Bailey's you know feud kind of ending but then again um Bailey needs something else to do because she had the title for over 300 days. So, yeah, um, that's over and I'm okay with that. So, then also with the women, you had a triple threat match between Ruby Riot, Zelina Vega, and Natalia to qualify for the SmackDown women's team at Survivor Series. Um, Natalia is trying to earn her way on this team because she feels like she deserves to be because, of course, she's the boat, the best of all times or whatever. Um, so she battled Ruby Riot, who we had, who I think is probably our first time seeing her on SmackDown television since the draft and Zelina Vega, um, which is our second time seeing her, um, on SmackDown since the draft, um, after she got beat up by Bianca Belair in Bianca Belair's debut. So this action in this match was really fast and furious. So it really wasn't a whole lot that they were able to show here outside of natalia showing everything that she had to offer up against zelina vega um then vega actually saved ruby riot from the sharpshooter at one point before finding herself trapped in the same hold um but then zelina vega fought through the pain and refused to tap out but then ruby riot rolled in and applied a modified chicken wing um to Zelina Vega and made her tap out much to the dismay of Natalia who got up you know and didn't realize what was going on so now she's still not qualified for the team but now Ruby Riot is so now on Smackdown Women's Team we have Bianca Belair and Ruby Riot and Bianca Belair was really welcoming towards Ruby Riot on social media and I thought that was cool and everything and now you have Natalia who's still upset and Zelina Vega who's still off to the side not doing anything which upsets me because she was just you know talking about how you know she was ready to win the raw women's title from oscar and now she's been drafted to smackdown and she has yet to do anything besides get beat by bianca belair and get beat this time in this match like they could stand she could stand to be on the smackdown women's team i don't know i don't know why she isn't and that's not to say that she won't qualify at some point but guys come on she's Zelina vega give her a chance um <laughs> but yeah um there is one more thing that happened with a woman and that's Aaliyah but I'll talk more about that in the segment that she was involved in with Rey Mysterio and Dominic and Murphy and Seth Rollins so with the men um we had an interview that Kayla Braxton did with Jey Uso um he she asked him about the attack that he gave to Daniel Bryan after he was more accepting of being a part of the bloodline along with Roman Reigns and Roman Reigns told him to attack Daniel Bryan and sort of make him understand what was going on 
And so he chalked up his attack on Daniel Bryan to the fact that they are not blood and that he was merely doing what he had to do to keep his place in the family. Um, but then Paul Heyman came and interrupted the interview and said that Roman Reigns had not authorized the interview and told Jey Uso that his cousin needed to talk to him. And I thought this was really sad because I'm just sort of, well, not sad. It just kind of enraged me because I'm like, so Jey Uso has been participating in interviews his entire career. And now all of a sudden, because he's a part of the whole um, Samoan mafia family now, um, where Roman Reigns is the mob boss, um he has to get permission to do interviews now that sucked <laughs> i hated that and then um ray mysterio was trying to but then after that ray mysterio was trying to prepare for his um match against king corbin to qualify for the men's smackdown team but then he was also trying to get in touch with Aaliyah while dominic urged him to get ready for his match but then king corbin attacked him from behind and um then and then we had another segment showing roman reigns correcting jay uso for taking an interview um and trying to get buck at him for telling his story and then he ordered paul Heyman to get adam pierce because they were because they were going to handle the kevin owens problem um because kevin owens and jay uso had gotten into it backstage earlier before his interview with kayla so this in this segment where roman reigns was telling paul Heyman what to do it was it was so weird seeing paul Heyman sort of looking like a scared apprentice here like he looked like oh my god it was so it was almost like a super villain it was almost like jafar telling yago what to do if you've ever seen disney's aladdin like it was really scary <laughs> to see paul Heyman, who is usually the most confident person on the planet you know kind of get sized up and you know sized down by roman reigns the universal champion it was really scary so then um king corbin was looking to sort of take advantage of his sneak attacks onto rey mysterio you know earlier um he dropped rey mysterio at the bell with a spine buster for a count of two and then he dominated the fight until a bling charge into the steel stairs created an opening for rey mysterio then Mysterio built momentum, and as he kept building momentum, Seth Rollins, the Friday Night Falafel, came out and appeared on the scene and provided a distraction in time for the commercial break. Then after the commercial break, Mysterio sent Barry Corbin into the ring post and then added a big splash um, for his troubles. And then he tried to build up more momentum, but then King Corbin answered back with the world's strongest slam um, and with a count of two. He then worked the lower back of Rey Mysterio and tried to break it with his knees. And then um, Rey Mysterio bounced back and recovered with his trademark 619 before having his momentum halted as Seth Rollins attacked Dominic for the umpteenth time at ringside. Then as he was getting attacked, Aaliyah and Murphy, you know, appeared to try to come to their aid. But then Mysterio became distracted and got mad at them and then and told Aaliyah to get out. And then he allowed for King Corbin to hit the end of days. And now King Corbin is on Team SmackDown. Boo. Um, this upset me. Because I feel like Rey Mysterio deserves to be on the team a little bit more. For his, you know, simply because of all the troubles he's gone through. With, um, with the issues of Seth Rollins and stuff. 
And I almost wish they gave Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio something else to do outside of the fact of them having feuded on Monday Night Raw for like the past couple of months. And it's grown long in the tooth now. And this is November. And I'm just sort of ready for this to end. But then I also feel that the best part about this story is the fact that since I'm a romantic, um, is the fact that later on in the night, Murphy seemingly realigned with Seth Rollins. And even though Aaliyah was kind of frustrated with it, you know, after the whole match that Otis had with Seth Rollins and stuff like that, um, Murphy wound up helping Seth Rollins in his match against Otis and helped him to qualify um, for Team SmackDown. And Aaliyah was frustrated and mad at Murphy saying, how could you do that? You know, how could you rejoin Seth Rollins? But then he was holding her hands and said, you know, I just need you to trust me. Like, I really just need you to trust me. And so now we have this back and forth where it looks like Murphy might be playing Seth Rollins, you know, so um, he can get close to him and then proceed to tear him apart, you know, from within. And I think that's really smart. So we'll see what happens with that. Then we had the show in with Kevin Owens and Jay Uso in that match. And I'm going to skip the whole Lars Sullivan interview because that was trash and he's trash and we're just not going to do that. Um, Jay Uso <laughs> um, made his way to the ring, you know, and then Kevin Owens um, had an interview backstage before the match. And he said that he is 100% his own man so he can rest assured that the beating that he's about to catch is 100% from him. Um, basically saying that Jay Uso isn't his own man anymore. And then Uso pounded away Kevin Owens, but Kevin Owens answered with a neck breaker um, for a two count. And then Jay Uso recovered and blasted Kevin Owens with a super kick as Paul Heyman made his way to the ring watching from ringside. Um, and then Kevin Owens fought back into the match and delivered a senton bomb as Heyman watched, you know, looking kind of distressed at Kevin Owens bouncing back. But then Roman Reigns' music started playing and then Jay Uso blasted kevin owens you know in the nuts with his head and then delivered a super kick and a splash for the win and then uso made his way up the ramp and then roman reigns put his hand on his shoulder in approval and then raised the universal championship high overhead and is low-key looking like jay uso is closer and closer to embracing a heel um persona with roman reigns now um now more than ever because he seemed very insulted by what um, Kevin Owens had to say about the whole family dynamic thing. And maybe he's becoming more of a darker, you know, figure along with him, you know, than we thought he was going to be. Because I thought maybe Jay was going to resist it a little bit more, but maybe he isn't, you know, judging from how he used underhanded tactics in order to win this match. So we'll see what happens, but it's still incredibly intriguing. And I also found out in an interview that I did yesterday with um, DeAndre Sherry, um, shout out to him from the 1130 Pro Wrestling Podcast. Um, please check out that interview when you get a chance. Um, he, there's actually a petition going on for Roman Reigns to be nominated for a primetime Emmy for his 
acting work in this segment on SmackDown. And I think it's absolutely cool how that happened because I said a couple episodes ago that I feel like he should be nominated for an Emmy due to his acting or him and Jey Uso both. Um, And it's just really cool how that happened and how sometimes you can speak stuff into the atmosphere and then boom and manifest somehow. So here's hoping that maybe they'll listen. But if they don't, I won't be surprised either. So we'll see. And that was the end of SmackDown. And now we're going to go to the conclusion. Okay, so thank you for listening to this second episode of the second season of the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, like I say every time, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at um, Hardy Wrestling Podcast on Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter at Hardy WrestlePod. Um, and also, if you want to follow me on my regular page, you can follow me on Instagram at Queen Steph Hardy. That is me as well, because some people do tag me underneath my um, regular um, Instagram name. And also on my Facebook, you can follow me at Stephanie LaShawn Hardy as well. Um, I'm also still selling my um, chill, positive and passionate T-shirts. That's the motto of the show with um, the name of the podcast on the back of them. You can get them for $20 in the colors of black or white, and they come in sizes small to extra large. And if you need another size, you can always, you know, message me and, and ask me for it. You can DM me on Instagram too um, and ask me for a size or whatever. Um, I've got a lot of different appearances coming up that I will um, talk about later this week and stuff like that. But like I said, I want to give a shout out to DeAndre for having me on his um 11:30 pro wrestling podcast um yesterday um in the midst of everything that happened with the news about the election and stuff like that um it was really cool to be on there and talk wrestling and participate in wrestling trivia along with him as well and talk about what's been going on and what's you know go, what has been going on in the past and stuff like that I love doing interviews on other people's shows so if you ever want me on your wrestling podcast don't hesitate to hit me up and ask me you know to be on your show um, I will more than likely love to do it. Um, and if you also want, want to be on my show, you know, for an interview, you know, you can always message me and stuff. If I haven't messaged you already to ask you. So, um, here again, thank you so much for supporting the show so far. Um, I hope I can continue to create a safe space for you to listen to, um, a wrestling podcast talking about the things, you know, that we love about wrestling mostly as opposed to, you know, running it down in the ground and destroying it. Um, so I hope that this is a good place for you to come and, you know, relax or to just listen to something that's outside of your comfort zone. If you've never watched wrestling before, or, you know, if you do love wrestling as a diehard fan, um, that it's a good place for you to get your information from as well. So thank you for listening to the Hardy Wrestling Podcast. Um, I hope you're staying safe and being the best person you can be. And until next time. Bye, y'all.